In his Chronicles of Narnia series, C.S. Lewis writes a final word from Aslan, the lion, in the silver chair. Here on the mountain I have spoken to you clearly, Aslan says. I will not often do so down in Narnia. Here on the mountain the air is clear and your mind is clear. As you drop down into Narnia the air will thicken. Take great care that it does not confuse your mind. In the Bible, mountaintop stories are often stories of heaven meeting earth. Moses receives the gifts of stone tablets containing God's law on a mountain, Mount Sinai, we are told. And in our story today, Jesus' appearance somehow dramatically changes, and the three disciples with him suddenly see Elijah and Moses flanking him. And for Peter, James, and John, who are with Jesus on that mountain, this encounter with something heavenly, something otherworldly, leaves them speechless. It's both frightening and exhilarating somehow. And in an attempt to get it to last forever, to cling to something that feels like glory, they foolishly suggest building houses to contain all that mysteriousness. But, as they are to discover, heaven cannot be contained, glory cannot be captured, and their mission, their following Jesus, is not to happen on the mountaintop. Though they may feel that all is much clearer on the mountain, as Aslan says in the silver chair, even while that clarity is a little bit frightening, like Aslan instructs, they must descend the mountain back to earth where the air thickens and where minds can be confused. And this, this is the place of our salvation, back down here on earth, at least if we are to believe the primary message of the Bible. Despite the near obsession of my childhood with heaven and with eternal salvation that happened out there and up there somewhere, some far off place, the biblical images for salvation that recur most often concern a transfigured earth. If the reign of God is out there and somewhere in an otherworldly kind of place, we lose the ability to see Jesus' vision for transformed, just, and healthy relationships that are right here, rooted in place. It gets harder for us to see and to live those transformed, just, and healthy relationships right here on earth, right here to be specific, in our bioregion and in our watershed. We've moved in these just couple of weeks, as Christy said earlier, from learning to knowing to loving and now to protecting. And proclaiming and living God's reign as a transfigured earth, proclaiming and living these transformed, just and healthy relationships with our waters and with all of creation, will have the effect of protection for living those transformed and just and healthy relationships. We will protect. 
And I'm aware that these words just sort of flow off the tongue with relative ease. And the action and the behaviors and the life that would flow from those words are almost impossibly difficult to discern and to live down here where the air is thick and where our minds can be confused. I'm also, I just confess to you, profoundly stumped by the task of preaching protection for waters this week. This week when the long-suffering and faithful water protectors at Standing Rock were driven from their treaty lands and waters, forced away from their sacred task of protection. God have mercy. Christ have mercy. And so, in my profound confusion about how to even go about this task, someone shared a video of a woman, a native woman, at Standing Rock. She had taped herself as there was a raid happening, a raid, another raid, one of a series of raids on the camp this week. And she was reflecting on a local newspaper's headline that read, Camp Becomes History. And she took issue with that headline. She said, this headline makes it sound as though the movement is over, or it makes it sound as though we have lost this movement. And she said, very strongly and confident and clearly, we need to counter that narrative. Because we have won in the most profound ways. We have planted so many seeds, she said. They tr- the, you know that quote, they tried to bury us, they didn't know we were seeds. <laughs> we have planted so many seeds in this rich earth. We have helped the country to see water in a new way. To see and to learn that water is life. I'm not sure any of us were familiar with that phrase prior to the Standing Rock movement. It's not all that profound. Water is life. And yet that has become one of the cries emerging from that faithful movement that now echoes in our ears and our hearts and our lives. Water is life. This woman went on to say, we have united groups that were never before united this strongly. Native peoples, Christians, military veterans, folks of all races coming together around this shared proclamation that water is life. And then she said, we have maintained our prayer and our compassion in this movement We have fought for protection in a manner that was beautiful and honorable, and we have done no harm. We gave our bodies, she said, in courts and financially. We have done everything in our power, and that is a win. Melanie, just a couple of weeks ago, lifted up Ched Myers' first question. It was when we shared with one another in pairs, to which water do you belong? 
It was good to have that time to reflect with one another. And today I am pondering Ched's second question, his follow-up question to that, and it was this. For which water would you be willing to die? And my honest answer is none. I'm not willing to die for any water. Not now, at least. And maybe not ever. I don't know. I don't know how my life path will yet unfold. But that's something with which I must live in this moment. I'm not sure I'm willing to die for any water. So today, I am profoundly comforted by Jesus' response in this story of the transfiguration. Jesus' response to those exhilarated and frightened disciples on the mountaintop who tried in vain to stay on the mountain of ethereal and mysterious glory rather than descending back down into the mud and the muck of the earth, the place of our salvation, the transfigured earth that is the reign of God. They wanted to stay up there. And this, again, from Matthew. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. Is there any more profound word we need to hear in these times? Get up and do not be afraid. Jesus reaches out to them in their fear and in their misunderstanding. He reaches out in compassion. He gently touches them and assures them that they need not fear. And then he does the most beautiful thing of all. He goes down with them from the mountain. He walks alongside them. He doesn't leave them to do this descending into the mud and muck alone. I don't know how to move Even if I've learned and known and come to love in deeper ways, I don't know how to protect my watershed, even as I want to. And even as I want to run away from the messy complexity of it all. I don't know how. I'd sort of like to build a house on a mountaintop of spiritual experience where glory and mystery exhilarate and not have to descend into the mud and muck and complexity of it all that I don't get. But I don't know how to navigate. I take comfort then in this story that Jesus will reach out to me in my fear and in my misunderstanding, in my complete lack of know-how. Jesus reaches out to me and to all of us in compassion, gently touching me and assuring me that I need not fear. Get up and do not be afraid. If I'm willing to get up off the ground, Jesus will go with me down the mountain, walk alongside me, and not leave me, not leave us alone. I do know that my deepest longing for any and all water protection that I might engage for the rest of my life, as I seek to grow in understanding of and commitment to protection of my beloved places, It's my deepest longing that any of that work would be firmly rooted in the spiritual richness of walking with Jesus. Just as the woman spoke from Standing Rock this week, I observed this um, in the way in which water protectors were deeply spiritually rooted. 
I think of one action in particular that several of us were, um, we were together downtown at the Wells Fargo, and Native leaders led, did all of the speaking and leading of that rally. And the Native leaders there repeatedly and explicitly named wanting to be in a prayerful way. Just over and over, various speakers would say, I want to be in a prayerful way here. And just calling everyone back to a deep rootedness in the riches of their spiritual tradition, their understanding that advocacy was rooted in prayer. I recall even implicitly, without having to name it, the way in which the drumming and the chanting and the singing and the content of their speech and the manner of speech was prayer. It was a call over and over into prayer. They created a prayer space for all of us who were gathered there. I was moved by how clearly their advocacy, their water protection was grounded in and emerging from prayer. And that is the longing of my heart. May it be so for me as well. And that is my hope and my prayer for me and for all of us, for our watershed, for all of our waters that to us and to all of creation are life. That's my prayer for the water protectors from Standing Rock this week. May this earth be transfigured into God's reign. And may our work of protection in this transfigured earth be grounded in prayer, rooted in our companionate walking alongside Jesus, the one who reaches out to us in our fear and confusion and walks down the mountain with us. May it be so. May it be so.